My name is Vala Rollins, and I'm the executive director of the London Business School Leadership Institute. The Leadership Institute has just published the results of its inaugural leadership survey, which explores the current challenges faced by global leaders in their organizations and how those challenges can influence and impact on both personal team and organizational effectiveness. One of the top five challenges that leaders face today was reported as effective strategy execution. One of the things I'm keen to do is explore that finding through a behavioral lens. That's why I'm delighted to be joined today by Lisa Shu, Assistant Professor of Organizational Behavior at London Business School. Can I start by getting you to say a bit about the concept of behavioral nudges, which features as a prominent piece of your research? Absolutely. A behavioral nudge is perhaps the most important, the most impactful, and the most practical development in social sciences in the past 50 years. And the idea behind a nudge is to create a supporting architecture to promote good decision-making. So a nudge helps to steer people to make better decisions through a simple change in their choice environment. And I will lean on Richard Thaler and Cass Sunstein's definition of a nudge, which they beautifully articulated in their book entitled Nudge. So for them, a nudge is a way to influence behavior without coercion. What's important is that no one is being forced to do anything against their will. Rather, they're merely being guided towards a more desirable path. In Thaler and Sunstein's book Nudge, The example they give is putting healthy foods at eye level, where people will more likely see it and thereby promote more healthful decision-making. Great. And and I think it's it's fair to say that the whole concept of behavioral nudges and behavioral economics in general has gotten a lot of uh, press uh, in the past three to four years. Um, Absolutely. The field is having its peak moment right now. Um, Nobel laureates such as Daniel Kahneman and Richard Thaler, they've gained tremendous accolade for both developing the ideas and also applying and disseminating the theoretical contributions of cognitive and social psychologists to achieve really impressive, measurable impact in the world. And we have so much evidence now that simple changes can impact behaviors of much greater financial and ethical importance. That's fantastic. It's fascinating to to think, Lisa, that we're surrounded by multiple constructs in our day-to-day lives that, that provide these critical nudges that you're talking about. So now let's look at what you've just shared in the context of some of the results that have emerged from our leadership survey. One of the things we asked leaders to do is identify for us the the top five challenges that they faced in their roles in their organizations. And one of the things coming up in the top five was concern about effectively executing strategy. Any thoughts on this, uh, especially through the lens of your research? So interesting to hear that one of the top barriers to keeping employees engaged is this perceived lack of alignment between day-to-day activities Mm. and top-line strategy. I think that my work on behavioral nudges can help us close this gap, this disconnect between everyday activities and strategy, the gap between 
implementations and intentions. So my research shows that whether or not organizations choose this role, they are inadvertent architects of their employees, customers, and shareholders' decision-making. They ultimately control their experiences. So organizations nudge their employees and steer them in their everyday choices, whether or not they consciously choose to. So in my view, it's really important for organizations to really embrace this as a reality, that they have a role in consciously taking on uh, their role as choice architect, and they could use this to better shape their business outcomes and drive greater alignment between strategy and day-to-day. Okay, that is fascinating. Now, the word architect seems to suggest that a grand intervention or change might be required to uh, encourage a shift in the environment that will help say, employees to make different decisions, pursue different actions, or see things in a different light? Not necessarily. Actually, it could be something very simple. It could be something that we're already doing. Okay. Can you say a bit more about that and maybe give us an example? Sure. I could give you an example from my own work. So this is in collaboration with Nina Mazar, Francesca Gino, Dan Ariely, and Max Bazerman. We found that simply moving the location of a signature box can increase honest reporting in the insurance context. So what we did was we we partnered with an auto insurance company, and we had the opportunity to modify their annual policy review form. Now, this is the form that they send to all their existing customers every year, wherein they asked their customers to report the mileage of their cars. Mm-hmm. And customers were randomly assigned to one version of this form, both of which required their signature following the statement, I promise that the information I am providing is true. So half the customers for this auto insurance company received the existing version of the form where they reported the mileage of their cars and they signed at the end of the form. The other half of customers were randomly selected to receive a new version of the form that we modified. The only modification we made was we changed the location of the signature and statement. So these customers received the form where they signed at the top that I promise that the information I'm providing is true and the forms were identical in every other respect. So what does cheating look like in this context? Well, if you report lower mileage on your car, mm-hmm. that means you use your car less. Right. It's less time spent on the road and less probability of accidents or any incidents. So we found that customers who signed at the beginning of the form were actually more truthful in revealing how much they used their cars. They reported higher mileage for the cars insured under the policy than the customers who received the form where they sign at the end. Mm-hmm. Now, a simple change in the signature location in this context, it reduced the extent to which these customers misreported their mileage information in order to advance their financial interests. And this is a subtle change. All we're doing is moving the location of the signature box. Yeah. It's 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 almost like you're providing that cognitive nudge before someone actually gets into a task that helps them really 
frame the way that they're they're going to approach the task. Absolutely. In fact, what we find is that signing afterwards is the same as not having a signature request at all. When you're prompted to sign after you've already reported this information, the morality train has already left the station. It's too late to bring morality top of mind and make it the focal point. Right. So it's very interesting to see the effect and also the underlying mechanism that drives its e- efficacy. Yeah, fascinating example, especially in a in a B two C context. Any other examples you could provide that might be of interest to organizations around strategy execution? Absolutely, um, a good recent example can be found in the UK pension policy. And the problem that the UK government was trying to tackle here was to boost enrollment in pension contributions. Now, they were able to achieve their goals by introducing a nudge. And it's a subtle one. They shifted the policy to automatic enrollment, which meant that contributions were automatically deducted And this allowed individuals to still have the choice to opt out of this pension scheme. It preserved their freedom to choose, but it dramatically boosted savings rates. Mm. Um, Active membership in the private sector pension increased from over 2 million to 7 million in just four years' time. Wow. That's extraordinary. It sounds like there's a lot of potential for leaders to use nudges as, as part of their leadership toolkit. Now, it's interesting that uh, Richard Thalier, who you mentioned earlier, is purported to encourage people at every opportunity to nudge for good, which I think acknowledges the fact that this concept of nudges could be abused. So I'm interested in hearing your thoughts on what some of the flip sides might be around using nudges and where there might be some some dangers in actually applying. Absolutely. So it's a very exciting time for behavioral science. And because practitioners and policymakers are just beginning to really embrace these tools of nudging, sometimes misuses and abuses can occur. I'll give you an example from my own work of an unintended misuse in the private sector for my collaboration with a private hospital. So this hospital management team was interested in implementing the signing first intervention as a way to increase patient honesty. Turns out that patients lie to their doctors all the time on various measures, such as under-reporting their usage of drinks, drugs, and risky behaviors. They tend to over-report measures, such as the amount of exercise or flossing, let's Mm -hmm. say. So when modifying the forms and working with hospital management, we move the signature location and honesty pledge to the top of the patient health history forms. So this is a pilot wherein half the patients received the same form the hospital originally had, and half the patients received the new form we designed where the signature box was located at the top of the form. Okay, so a similar format to that um, that was used in the insurance company. Exactly. As you recall in the insurance example, customers 
were more honest in that context when they received the version where they were prompted to sign at the beginning. In the health context, we saw a reversal of the signing first effect when pilot testing this in the context of a patient medical history form. In fact, signing first seems to suppress honesty rather than promote honesty when patients were prompted to report on measures such as drinks, drugs, and risky behaviors. I am now investigating why signing first can decrease honest reporting in this context. And my hypothesis Mm. is that, you know, a signature activates many things. And in addition to morality, it can also activate shame responsibility to oneself and others. So perhaps it is the need to preserve one's self-image. And perhaps there's dueling moralities at play here in the context of a patient who's filling out a health behaviors questionnaire. So it's this tension between the person that I wish that I were, you know, the one who never has a single drink over the recommended guidelines, who always exercises, who flosses daily, right? and the person I actually am, who has not purchased floss in this last year. So to alleviate conflict, I might find it easier to lie in a context like this. Right. And what we see is that many patients do. Right. And, you know, with that, you know, presenting ourselves in a more virtuous light. Absolutely. So this example highlights just how much the context of a decision matters. So we can't just widely apply any nudge. It's not one size fits all contexts. Mm-hmm. You know, I have deep admiration for researchers who really dive deep into testing these nudge interventions. Initiatives such as Behavioral Change for Good, which is spearheaded by professors Katie Milkman and Angela Duckworth at University of Pennsylvania. So they basically bring together a dream team of the best minds who are running large-scale, experimental, randomized control trial field experiments focusing on improving daily outcomes when it comes to education, to health, and to financial decision-making. Yeah, excellent. And actually, hearing you has prompted me to think about, ooh, but what about, you know, the the notion of business performance? How how might um, nudges or, or the concept of help organizations in terms of driving uh, ethical reporting, let's say? So at times, the long-term goals of a business are at odds with the short-term goals of their employees. Mm -hmm. For example, many sales professionals feel a lot of pressure on a quarterly basis to meet their targets. And this was in the news recently with the Wells Fargo Yeah, Wells Fargo in the U.S., where uh, employees were actually found misreporting sales around credit cards, opening of accounts, et cetera, as a way of boosting their bonuses. Right. Clearly, the employees felt a lot of pressure to meet these performance demands. And they were taking actions that were actually counter to the Mm. long-term profitability and survival of the company. Now, part of what managers can do to address these concerns is they can encourage employees to broaden their framing. Mm -hmm. 
So oftentimes, because we assess business outcomes in a very narrow window of time, this quarter or this fiscal year, our attention becomes very focal. Psychologists and economists call this narrow bracketing, where attention is focused on this very narrow sliver of performance Mm -hmm. in a short period of time. Mm -hmm. Now, the consequences of narrow bracketing are increased risk aversion and loss aversion, Mm and increased performance pressure to showcase achieved results now, today. And this comes at the expense of pursuing long-term real results. So it's not surprising that in such an environment, employees might be more tempted to take unethical shortcuts to showcase performance. And these shortcuts, therefore, undermine the long-term success of the organizations. So the onus is on managers to broaden this framing by evaluating outcomes in a portfolio of outcomes rather than the single-shot assessments. This portfolio mindset, rather than single quarter or fiscal year focus, a portfolio mindset can help managers and employees evaluate their decisions in terms of what best serves the individual and the organization in the long term rather than simply chase these short-term gains. Yeah. I I I really I'm really encouraged about what you're saying about this Lisa and it makes me think about the work I do as a practitioner with organizations around development of KPIs and specifically helping them really understand that it's outcome measures that they should look to focus on as well as output. But, you know, really taking the time, though, to say, you know, what does good look like for us in six, eight, 10, 12 months time, as opposed to just focusing on those short-term output measures? Absolutely. And I think that translating what the long-term goals are to what the day-to-day looks like is crucial. So having managers define What are the day-to-day behaviors that you wish to encourage that will help you meet your long-term goals? I think that's the first step to break down the strategy into its daily components and ask what does it actually look like in terms of the time that your employees spend at work and the, the behaviors they actually engage in. I think managers can gain a lot from taking the perspective of their employees and asking themselves what's helping them to act in line on a day-to-day basis with these long-term goals and what's hindering them. On a daily basis, what behaviors are you hoping to encourage that will further your long-term goals? And what are the barriers that are hindering these goals? And I think it's really thinking about this helping versus hindrance model. Mm -hmm. We could try to design some nudge interventions to help managers along. Right. Lisa, this is a fascinating area and one that really seems to offer a lot of opportunity to help leaders tackle some of the the challenges they're currently facing. Perhaps to wrap us up, could you summarize for our listeners how they could use behavioral interventions or nudges to enhance business outcomes or maybe even some easy frameworks that they could think about when trying to put this stuff into practice? Sure. A great practical framework for businesses to use is one that was developed by the Behavioral Insights team. They use the framework EAST, like the direction, E-A-S-T, which stands for easy, attractive, social, and timely. 
So the idea behind this is that if you want to encourage a behavior, think of ways to make it easy, make it attractive, make it social, and make it timely. I could give you an example of each. Yeah, please. So for example, automatically enrolling employees into pension plans dramatically increases the number of savers. And this is because automatic enrollment makes saving easy. So that's the easy. Exactly. Now, for an example of how to make a decision attractive, putting healthy food at eye level or at the front of the cafeteria line makes healthy food more attractive than the junk food alternatives. And this promotes more healthful decision making. To make a behavior social, we could harness the power of networks. For example, if you wanted to encourage an employee to donate to a cause, you should broadcast to them that others in their network have also donated to the cause. This will encourage their willingness to donate by providing them social proof that donation is a good behavior. And finally, to make a behavior timely, I've given you the example in the insurance expense and tax contexts, where in signing first before reporting brings morality into focus right before it's most needed, and it encourages honesty as a consequence, where signing after is the same as not having to sign at all. So to reiterate, if you want to encourage a behavior, think of ways to make it easy, think of ways to make it attractive, think of ways to make it social, and think of ways to make it timely. Fantastic. Really practical framework there, Lisa. And I'd like to reach out to our listeners and invite them to um, maybe experiment with this and, and let us know the results of those experiments. We'd love to be able to, to share how you find using this framework in practice. Thanks so much for joining us, Lisa. It's been fascinating to hear your, your insights on behavioral nudges and especially how that relates to issues around strategy execution. Thanks so much for having me. I've been in conversation with Dr. Lisa Shu, Assistant Professor of Organizational Behavior at LBS, on the rising interest in the concept of behavioral nudges as an individual and organizational development tool. I'm Viola Rollins, Executive Director of the London Business School Leadership Institute. Thanks for listening. To find out more about the results of our recent survey, please go to www.london.edu forward slash Leadership Institute.